Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. Obviously, Ronaldo, since the last time we talked in October, a lot has changed in the political economy. Uh, I want to make a quick announcement before we jump right in, though. First, uh, yesterday I met a listener named Bob who has listened to all of our shows and was so excited about the hydrogen economy that he's actually begun researching and and have it, taking meetings about the possibility of starting a hydrogen infrastructure financing business. Uh, that's how deeply some of these ideas are penetrating, and we just love hearing from our listeners. So if you've been listening to this show for a while or if this is your first show, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and especially your questions. Um, if you want to shoot us an email, that's the best way to get in touch. Just email us at info at worldbusiness.org. You can also find us on Facebook at the World Business Academy, and our website is worldbusiness.org. Uh, one more announcement. The World Business Academy was selected by our community as a top-rated nonprofit for 2014. If you go to a website called greatnonprofits.org and search for the World Business Academy, you'll see our reviews, and we'd love it if you'd leave a review there for us as well. But, Ronaldo, let's move on now to a discussion about the political changes and expected economic outcomes resulting from the November elections across the country. And let's start, I think the big story is the Republican takeover in the Senate. Yeah, thanks, Matt, and welcome to our listeners. Um, and uh, I think that the the, the, the the issue with Republican takeover, as I touched on in our last program, is that I see the potential for a tremendous amount of economic destabilization. It's already starting. There's a small caucus in the House that's already uh, put forward the idea of impeaching the president. Um, people ask me, what are they going to impeach him for? And the answer is, it's a free country. You can impeach a president for anything. Uh, I doubt that they think that they can get 60 votes to uh, convict in the Senate. But I think that they believe that if by impeaching him they could tie him up, that might be in their agenda. The, um, and, and, the, and several people have put forward that if, he acts, uh, if, if they fail to act on immigration, which it appears they will, then the president will act. That would be one grounds. I've heard other people say they want to impeach him because he agreed to lower um, climate gases uh, with China yesterday. I don't know why that would be an impeachable offense, but I heard that one. Um, there are other people in the Congress who believe that um, uh, they, the president uh, needs to be stopped, quote-unquote, and uh, um, that was Rush Limbaugh's main program a couple days ago, that no one in, in the White no one was elected in the Republican Party to govern. They were elected solely to stop Obama. I think that's wrong. I think they were elected to govern. Uh, unfortunately, though, we're going to have a bunch of test cases come up between now and December and then a whole slew of them in the first quarter of next year. What I want to urge our listeners to do is this. 
tune in this program every month. Uh, we are going to continue to update you on what we perceive to be the economic risks of the current political climate. Uh, we are continuing to call for the likelihood of a, a severe economic uh, problem in the March to May time frame of next year. Uh, I'm defining severe as uh, the drop in the greenback by 15 to 20 percent in value. Uh, and I'm looking for a 40% or more correction in the market. So something like 2008, only a little bit worse. Uh, it's, there's a couple things on the horizon that are positive since the last time we spoke, and I want to touch on one of them. The fact that oil has continued to come down in price, and they now are now seeing $78 a barrel uh, at, uh, for Texas West Intermediate Crude, the depressive effect of those oil prices is going to free up much more money in the pockets of American and European consumers. So that's really a good thing. The Saudis have indicated they intend to keep the pressure up, meaning they're going to keep the spigot open so more oil flows because, and there was a story just this morning in the Financial Times of London, prices this low will tend to undercut the shale industry in, in America, so we won't be producing as much shale oil, and it will tend to put a uh, kibosh on the Canadian tar sands operations because it's questionable whether they can operate profitably at around $78 a barrel. In addition, the Saudis are very happy this puts Russia under terrible pressure, and it puts Iran under terrible pressure. So there's a lot of geopolitical reasons why Saudi Arabia recently announced, going into the next OPEC meeting, and it's coming up in about a week, that they do not intend to cut back production, and that means it's going to be a free-for-all on the production side. I see more... Um, uh, I see, I see the, the, the consumption of fuel, of, of oil-based products going sideways or even perhaps a little bit down in the next few months for reasons I can give if, 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 our, if, our, if our listeners want to ask. Uh, but the bottom line is if we are looking at the size of calamity that I'm now projecting is more likely than it was even last month, it really behooves everybody to listen to this program. We will update you every month on the good things that are happening and the bad. And we'll try to give you a more refined view of what you can do about that. As some of you will recall, last month I urged people to consider begin buying. Uh, well, I asked, first of all, I urged them to consider getting into the World Business Academy Advised Fund that's maintained at um, at, at First Affirmative, because that fund uh, is designed to preserve capital through precisely this crisis. And as those of you who listen to the show know, the fund makes its buying and selling decisions based upon what I say each month in this radio show. Uh, George Gay, the chairman of First Affirmative, and I have a follow-up conversation usually four or five days after this uh, broadcast. And during that conversation, he and I bat back and forth what are the best defensive strategies we can take in the face of what we see is a uh, accelerating potential crisis for change uh, for the economy. And what our goal is here, as I said last month, is to try and preserve our capital so if there is going to be a collapse, those of you who are in the First Affirmative Advised Fund or take other defensive measures like I'm recommending, such as buying uh, Swiss francs, uh, which I think will come out stronger relative to the greenback than the greenback over the next period of time if there's, there's financial stress. I also think it's very important that people consider alternative investments that are not traditional market-based investments. Uh, we mentioned the VIX last time or the Worry Index. Uh, we're starting to track gold again, looking at it possibly as a purchase as people start to get more anxious. And they will get more anxious. The more talk there is about the Republicans not being elected to govern, but being elected to obstruct, 
And the more talk there is of that, the more shaky the global economy will become because it shatters confidence. A very famous economist who, like myself, is correctly called the last correction in 2008 is a man named Nouriel Roubini. And Roubini just issued a column a little over a week ago in the Wall Street Journal in which he said that the global economy is like a, a 747 jet. It's got three engines that are completely out, and the fourth engine is called the United U.S. economy. That's what everybody in the world is seeing, with the one possible exception that India could be a bright spot on the horizon. And I guess maybe the exception is that, that Southeast Asia still has not been completely depressed, although the decrease in Chinese activity is now depressing Southeast Asia as well. Europe is in a recession again. The German machine is not working. And most importantly, uh, the German insistence on uh, austerity is defeating a change in Europe that could cause it to become an engine that would get reignited and then be able to help with the global economy. In the face of this weakened global economy, where the dollar is at least 20% overvalued, and where the emerging markets have been severely hurt by the end of QE2, uh, the director of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, uh, recently observed that the end of QE2 will have a far worse impact on the developing economies than it will in the U.S., and it turns out she's correct already, as usual. And the Rubini's observation that the global economy is like a four-engine jet with three engines already out leaves us with a sense of how precarious we are. Into that steps this question of political instability. So as things begin to get more unstable, we will continue to get more cautious in what we advise the the Academy Advice Fund to do. Uh, and if you want to listen to those private conversations between George Gay and I, where we literally go through the economic data and then make buying and selling decisions, uh, we're going to open that up to listeners probably starting in the month of December. Uh, if you're a member of the Academy, it's free to you. Um, and if you want to pay for, to listen, it's $250 a month. Um, my sense is that anybody who has even as little as $25,000 uh, should listen to it because if you're going to lose 40% of your $25,000 savings, it's going to be worth it to have paid $250 a month to stay on top of what you can do to protect yourself. So we're in the final stages of putting that program together. We're not ready to officially announce it's going to launch, but we will send you an email when it does launch, and hopefully by December, not this month, but December, it will launch. And in that talk with George and in my radio show, I will update you month by month asset class by asset class on what you can do to protect yourself and where we can go through this crisis. And the last time we had to do this in 2008, we were able to successfully call exactly when the recession was going to hit. We called October 2008. It did. And in that, we were able to get all our money off the table before the market went crazy. We saved. We didn't lose 40%. And then we urged people a few months later to re-enter the market. And those who did have done very, very well. Now, What's key here is if we're wrong, if the academy's wrong in this conservative approach we're taking, and we're not taking it for political reasons, this is just strictly economics, if it turns out the economy doesn't crater, we'll have lost maybe four or five months of using our money in the market, but we won't have lost our money, and we'll go back into the market and start doing what we do normally. But I want to be safe this time. I don't want to take a risk on my capital. I don't want you to risk your capital. Whatever meager savings we have, we have to hang on to through what is apparently going to be a very tumultuous time. I also want to make one other observation, Matt, and then turn it over. Um, I'm really delighted at the re-election of Dilma Rousseff over in Brazil. And the reason is, um, you know, Dilma's a mediocre president. I think she's done a decent job, not a brilliant job. But what she did do, 
she followed the Lula legacy. She, Lula, of course, was the, uh, the, the president of, of Brazil that Dilma Rousseff worked for and then ultimately took his place. About 10 years ago, as I recall, uh, Lula decided that the solution for Brazil to its, uh, its cyclical inflation periods, its tremendous division between the wealthy and the poor, he decided that he was going to create trickle-up economics, directly opposed to what we do in the U.S., which is trickle-down. And in the course of doing that, he created over one million new middle-class homes and, 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 and families. That one million group came to the polls and was the, the margin of victory for Dilma Rousseff. So what she really did is she benefited from a Keynesian economic policy, meaning stimulate the lower classes to become middle class, stimulate the middle classes to get stronger financially. And in a consumer economy like the U.S., that's precisely what we should be doing. We are, however, doing the opposite in the U.S. So Dilma Rousseff is a political beneficiary of a program that started 10 years ago that worked. A million new people got into the middle class. If the U.S. were to follow a similarly uh, um, illuminated policies, wise policies, the U.S. would be able to start to close the gap, which keeps getting worse every day, between the very rich, the 1%, 2%, and everybody else, the 98%. And we must close that gap in order to be strong enough. I hope people noticed last week, or two weeks ago, Walmart and McDonald's both reported that their earnings were down. And in, in the U.S., the reason was given was because people just don't have enough money to spend. And that's true. So although we are at a 5.6% unemployment rate in the U.S., which is great. It's better now than it was in before the crash. The jobs we replaced in large part were service industry or service sector jobs where people are flipping hamburgers Well, you or working at Walmart, candidly. And that's not a middle-class life. That's a life that leaves a family for below the poverty line. So, of course, the middle class has been hollowed out. Of course, they're running out of money to spend. Thank goodness the reduction in oil prices is putting a dollar a gallon back into people's pockets. That will make it a little bit easier for the middle class to spend and for the and for the lower class to spend. But it doesn't solve the basic problem, which is how do we create more middle class people and how do we strengthen the middle class so it can once again feel that it can get its kids through college, pay its bills, and safely end up in a retirement. So that's where we're looking today. Brazil is a shining example of what happens when you do it right. You can even get reelected after four mediocre years like Dilma Rousseff. And you can have a million new people in the game uh, to help balance and stabilize the economy in Brazil, which, by the way, has not had an inflationary spike since Lula took office more than 10 years ago. So those are my observations on trickle-up economics, on the divide between the rich and poor, which is hobbling the U.S. economy, and how the likelihood of this fragile economy having a severe economic correction in the March to May timeframe of 2015, and how we will be continuing to report on that in, on every show. Yep. Great, Ronaldo. Well, I want to I want to just talk for a second here and and clarify for our listeners something that can get a little bit cloudy when we start talking about politics and the economy. Uh, a, a big piece of this is that Ronaldo, you and I both are not politically affiliated. I'm a registered independent. You're a registered independent. Uh, I've heard you talk about this before, but I want to hear your thoughts essentially on you know where our political position is versus the kind of hot button issues that everyone hears about in the kind of horse race politics that we're used to in the mainstream media. Yeah, and I think that uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because I've been saying to people lately, one of the things to watch, candidly, is less about the Republicans 
attack on Obama, because that's fairly predictable. What's not predictable is the length they'll go to to block him, and whether or not they have the, sophistic, the economic sophistication to recognize that the damage they're doing to Obama could literally be enough to kill the economy. I don't think they have that sophistication. As, 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 as a sophisticated a politician as apparently Mitch McConnell is, and I take my hat off to his political skills, I don't think he understands the economy. If he does, he's going to want to keep the Republican House in order. So the more interesting thing to watch is not the Republican versus Obama issue. It's more about what happens within the, the Republican Party. Will mature adult Republicans who recognize it's not in the country's interest to have protracted turmoil, that we, they need to govern now, if those interests, which I know the Chamber of Commerce, which is very conservative, supports, if those interests are able to keep in check the, the more rabid wing, the right-right wing, the Tea Party wing of the Republican Party, which is their base, then watching the struggle between the two will tell us how to predict what's going to happen to the economy. So if the mature Republicans are able to control it at the end of the day, the economy will not have to go into crisis. There's no reason for it. In fact, the economy is poised for a takeoff if, if the politicians would just let it do so. But if the Republican conflict internal to the Republican Party leads us to a situation where to, um, uh, be, uh, to, to service the right wing of the party, the mature wing of the party, decides it has to do a few crazy things, my suspicion is that's what will throw the entire train off of the track. Uh, one other comment, very important comment, because it goes to the whole thing about being registered as an independent. Uh, I think, you know, Matt, I've been registered as an independent for well over 20 years now. So this is not something I came to because of a disaffection recently with the Democratic Party. And as those of you who listen to this show know, I'm very disaffected with the Democratic Party, and I'm extremely disaffected with the Republican Party. I'm disaffected with both parties. And I'm clamoring for citizen action because I do believe our government is failing us and has been for years, and we need to really look at every branch of government. The Supreme Court with Citizens United has basically corrupted our political process with, uh, with a, a gusher of money that is influencing every decision at every level, right down to the local level. Uh, the, 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 so the court system's out of whack. The legislature clearly was that the last Congress did less than any Congress, I think, in history. Uh, this yep. Congress will probably end up doing less. Um, and then you've got the situation where you have a man who is in the White House who uh, misunderstood what his job description was, and he thought he was supposed to be the professor-in-chief, he's supposed to be the chief executive. And, and I'm going to come back, I hope, in, in, in a second, Matt, to what I think Obama's doing right now that he didn't do before the election. But all of these things together cause me to want to comment on watch Rand Paul. So Rand Paul is setting himself up as a libertarian alternative. So uh, if, if you include in the category of independently registered voters, which I do, libertarians. So I do not happen to be a card-carrying libertarian, although many things about libertarian politics are very appealing to me. We'll be talking about marijuana legalization in a moment, and that's one of their core principles. So Rand Paul, many things about libertarian uh, uh, politics I don't agree with, and that would be the Ayn Rand approach to, you know, let the, the, the wealthy, you know, feast on the backs of the poor. Right. But, but I... But I think that the, the fact that Rand Paul is a, an independent and that as an independent he is standing poised to present himself as an alternative to either the traditional Republican conservatives, the Mitch McConnell wing, if you will, as an alternative to the rabid Tea Party wing, 
as the second alternative. He's, he's actually this third alternative, and the Democrats are a fourth one. If he continues to stake out that terrain, which I think he will, because that's his way to get to the White House, he's going to be faced with a tough choice in about a year and a half or a year. If he runs for president, he must give up his Senate seat in the state of Kentucky, which is very interesting. So he's going to have to bite a bullet to do this. Uh, if he does, that will be a fascinating three-way race at a minimum, meaning Republicans, Obama, or whoever runs as the Democrat in this case, uh, and the, uh, the, the Libertarians. Now, a fourth possibility is that you could see the formation of a group of people led by the progressive Democrats who will make a strong push for a much more uh, gutsy Democratic Party alignment with the interests of the middle class. And that might be a, a very interesting outcome. You know, uh, one of the Republican commentators uh, observed a couple of days after the election, we were concerned that the Democrats would run on their economic record, which is incredibly good. And fortunately, they didn't raise that issue because it might have changed the outcome. I think that's <laughs> probably true. Uh, so, so my thought would be, um, let's let's take a deep breath. Let's maintain some calm, but it's clear we have some serious, serious uh, rough sledding ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. And I want to reiterate, essentially, um, I'm not interested in party politics any more than how, you know, the the system works and and understanding the trends. Uh, I'm interested in getting leaders in there who are actually going to put us on the right course in terms of the economy and the outcomes that we all need and the different measurements we need to actually establish the health of our civilization and our society. And that's where we have a lot of alignment, I, I think, Ronaldo, which is that we're both pragmatists, and whoever's ready to actually make smart choices is going to be the person who's right for the job. Um, I, I echo your sentiments about disappointment with both parties. I think there's bright spots uh, in the Democratic Party, but they're not they're few and far between. And one of the major outcomes, like you're saying, with if Democrats had decided to run on their record, they might have done a little better in this last election. I think that communication and even deeper, the next level down is a moral vision is what Democrats have continued to walk away from. One of the reasons they were successful in capturing the imaginations of the people across the country in 2008 was that they had a a real moral vision for the, for the country. Um, and they expressed it in values and in uh, moral language as opposed to kind of this rational actor thinking that voters are going to just vote for the policies that are best for them. I mean, we've seen that time and again that that doesn't happen. That's not how people choose leaders. Well, you know, actually, you know, there's an interesting observation. Do you, this, we just had a 37% voter turnout, which is appalling that in a democracy only 37% of the people voted, of eligible exactly. voters. I think that's appalling. Now, part of that, of course, was voter... Um, there was a lot of voter suppression that went on in about nine states that could have yep. affected that number. Probably did. But even if it was only if it was 40% without voter suppression, the fascinating thing is the people who had the most to lose did not go to the polls. Right. And, and, and so we had a turnout which gave, produced the biggest Republican majority in 85 years and the, biggest, the lowest vote count in 72 years. Mm-hmm. So in exactly. 72 years, we haven't had a vote count this low, which exactly. means that people have forgotten that when you don't show up to vote, the other guy wins. And the other guy in this case is the, the moneyed interest, the 2%, who continue to want to have their key, cake and 
And it's almost like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Well, they can't eat cake, Marie Antoinette. That's why they revolted, and that's what the French Revolution was all about. In the U.S., people are so discouraged. I don't disavow the possibility that this next economic collapse could be accompanied by more violence than the last one. People are so frustrated. But, you know, the frustration is really their own. Students did not vote anywhere near as high as they should have. Clearly, people of color did not vote anywhere near as high as they should have. Um, You know, there's so many things on the table. Um, Gutting Obama's health care bill, which was the best thing that's happened in health care in 100 years, is a perfect no. I'm for a single-payer system. But it's a tremendous step forward for a country, the only industrial country that up until now has avoided any kind of public health care. So I'm, I'm really disturbed by how weak the Democrats have been. In fact, I was very upset with Harry Reid again. Harry Reid's been upsetting me for years. And I'm, you know, the one thing you say about Mitch McConnell is he'll be a strong Senate leader, whereas we've had this weak Harry Reid for so long. Harry Reid agreed to not put Loretta Lynch, the president's nominee, for attorney general before the Senate in the lame duck session. Now, I find that appalling when you, when you see the the enormous amount of bills that get passed and things that happen in lame duck sessions routinely, and they could put forward a nomination for Loretta Lynch, who has been twice already confirmed by the United States Senate, and each confirmation was unanimous. So there's no additional background check required. Nobody's voted for her in either of her two confirmation hearings. Putting her through should have been a half-day exercise. Harry Reid, for whatever reason, didn't even have the stomach for that. So when the, yeah. when, when the Democrats retreat as they have and have basically surrendered to one-party government, which is the Republicans, so the Republicans are in charge now. I am concerned and why I'm pointing my, 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 my lens, my flashlight, my, my beam of light on the conversations internal to the Republican Party is not because I'm interested in party politics. It's because I want to see the signs before they explode in my face if there's an explosion coming. My guess is there's an explosion coming. That's why the prediction for the economy is so dire. However, I'm going to be watching. Maybe they'll surprise me. If they do, I can back off the, the concern a little bit. Matt, do you remember that uh, doomsday clock which like ticks closer to midnight the closer we get to nuclear war and further from midnight if you get further from nuclear war? Remember that? I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it, to me, the economic doomsday clock it, at this point in time, as I see it, is five minutes to midnight. Midnight is, it, it blows up on us. I'm hoping that we'll pull back from that, and I can report next month that we're six minutes from midnight. I may have to report, though, that we're only three minutes from midnight. And each time I report on that, I will tell people exactly what the next steps are to protect themselves and their families from what I see as the economic um, crisis looming imminently ahead. So let's move now, Ronaldo, to talk about uh, what you talked, what you hinted at earlier, which is Obama being Obama in the old phrasing. I mean, essentially, he's he's stepping out and has nothing left to lose now, and is doing some pretty amazing um, immediate steps to be bold and to lead, even in the in the face of a Congress that he knows is coming after him for the next two years. Uh, and, and the ones I'm thinking of specifically are the very important net neutrality statement in support of an open internet and the huge announcement this morning, or I guess it was late last night, of a pact with China on uh, climate change emissions ahead of the 2015 gathering to set global policy. Actually, um, let me back up and talk about net neutrality for a second. For those people who are familiar with that term, 
pardon me, I'm going to explain it. Uh, but net neutrality means that the Internet stays free, that anybody can get to anybody, and you can't create a second lane of Internet where people who don't pay go slow and people who do pay go fast because then everybody will not have an equal ability to affect everybody else. And clearly the Internet is the most common means of communication. It would be like saying in a small village you can't talk to each other unless you pay to do so. So it's, at the, it's, a, it's a bulwark. It's, it's at the core of our democracy. And as we know, the Internet has been the, num- the number one thing that has kept monitoring uh, tyrants around the world as they have suppressed their domestic populations. So we want to keep the Internet free. Now, the a- AT&T this morning uh, announced that they're going to suspend their 100-city um, fiber optic, super fast fiber optic plan because they want to see, according to Randall Stevenson, the ATT's chief executive, he wants to see what's going to happen and how this is going to get paid for. Well, and he was concerned about the president's statement. I want to show you how disingenuous and how phony executives can be. When you go back and you look at the capital expense budget, which has already been approved by AT&T for 2015, the 100 city program wasn't in it long before President Obama spoke. I find that fascinating. So with a complete disingenuousness, the CEO is saying, well, we might not go forward anymore because Obama said, you know, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. That is such baloney that in his own budget, he didn't have any investment in capital in 2014, which is ending, and it's not even in 2015. So if you're going to build a 100-city rapid super fiber, uh, he called it a super fast broadband, You'd have to allow for the capital to do that in your budget. Since it wasn't in his 2014 budget and it's not in his 2015 budget, it's a phony statement to say that he's going to reexamine it based on, on the president's statement. In fact, he never really moved it forward because he didn't know how to pay for it in the first place. Now, my suspicion is the way AT&T will have to end up paying for it, or the cable companies, or both, is it's in their competitive interest to give better and better high-speed data to people. Do you notice how high-speed data has sort of taken over and almost nobody's going at slow speed anymore? It's like it's, that's yesterday. Well, right. they do that to compete with each other. So AT&T wants to compete with Comcast. They have to have the same speed levels. That's what's driving the speed of the Internet, not the government. In fact, in those countries where the government does drive it, they are more advanced. I think we have something like the 17th slowest Internet in the world. We're number 17th. Unbelievable, right? So, Because we left it up to private enterprise to decide how fast they wanted it to be. In every other country in the top 16, the government tells you how fast to make it, and as a result, you get much better communications. So I think the ATT announcement is disingenuous. I think the statement by Obama was brilliant. It was an honest, complete, and accurate statement. And in it, he said, I'm urging the Federal Communications Commission to come out with a decision which protects the, 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 the neutrality of the web and forces all those people who supply net services to act like common carriers, i.e. get a fair profit, fair return on their investment, but not gouge or try to control content. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that was that was the probably most important part of his speech is he's looking at these companies and saying, we're paying very close attention to you now. Uh, your point about the failure of America's Internet to keep up with, with countries like Korea and countries across Europe is really important because you look at those countries, and, and actually some of the differences and some of the other drivers there are is competition. So there's been a, a total monopoly control in a lot of places in the U.S., 
And those companies thus get lazy and spend all their money on marketing instead of making their services better. Um, I'm very interested in that point because it's, it's, it's really gets to the core of our competitiveness as a country and our ability to keep up with emerging markets and, and Europe who are, who are just totally leaps and bounds ahead of us in terms of internet speed. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. And it almost, I'm going to say probably three quarters of the cities in America, it is a monopoly. I mean, you could yeah. theoretically go to AT&T for broadband service in California, but pretty much everybody's on the cable. Yeah. And as you probably know, if you have a Macintosh, you can't even do Internet through a satellite if you wanted to. So the telephone companies are trying to be the Internet provider for the people who are on the satellite service, but those two together are not as powerful a connection as high-speed cable. So AT&T saying they're not going to build super-fast broadband means that they're going to leave the business or they're going to have to build it. So that's why it's so disingenuous. But let me go to the second part, which you raised, which yeah. is China. So uh, there were two things, by the way, in China. People were so impressed with the second one, they overlooked what happened with the first. So in the first thing, the day before, Obama and China announced uh, that the, the change in visas, effective immediately, so a Chinese person can now come to the U.S. for 10 years, same with the U.S. going there, allows for much freer flow of people between these two countries as part of our commercial structure. So visas granted for commercial reasons, particularly. That's a big, big change in, in weaving these two cultures closer together so that many more Chinese can be here at the same time and many more Americans can be in China. I think that, that's a tremendously positive thing. The second thing that came out at that same line before he started talking about uh, uh, the uh, climate issue is he talked about a substantial revision of the trade bill, uh, the, trade, uh, uh, the trading between the two countries, which uh, he'll be able to do without any treaty being passed, which is great. So China has re-signed up that it wants to be our number one trading partner. We've re-signed up with China. That was extremely powerful. Thirdly, they come up with this thing just yesterday on climate change, which is mind-blowing. Now, the, 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 the conservative right-wing talk media people are going crazy, saying, oh, he's got no right. I mean, China doesn't have to clean up their skies until 2035, and we're going to have to clean up most of ours in 2025. A, didn't read the press announcement. And B, that's because it didn't say that, but B, apparently don't care that we are a freight train headed towards a brick wall called human extinction. My dear friend, Deepak Chopra, on camera in an interview that we did together at the Commonwealth Club just a couple weeks ago, basically said, we are looking at an event of mass human extinction. So mass human extinction doesn't mean we're going to lose a few hundred million more people. It means we're going to lose a few billion people or more. That's enormous, and that's climate change related, strictly talking about climate change. So when you say you are going to try and torpedo something that the two biggest polluters in the world agree to do, i.e. voluntarily reduce their pollution, that to me is suicidal. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the inmates running the insane asylum. Now, what that climate change thing really said was that China would, would dramatically reduce its carbon by 2035 at the latest and sooner if possible. Even more importantly, they, they committed that they would build up to 20% or more renewable energy effective almost immediately. Well, that, that's phenomenal that they're finally getting on the renewable energy bandwagon. The yeah. president increased the speed at which we're going to get to renewables in the U.S. He almost doubled it by 2025, 2030. However, he actually knows already how fast we're moving, so that offer from the U.S. actually 
is probably in the bag already because if we just keep going at the rate we're going, we're going to get there. So he pulled China in to follow us because our program to get to renewables is working so well. California, we're almost up to 40% renewables right today. This is in the year 2014. And other states are starting to follow. So we have to deal with climate change. As people who listen to the show know, it's the number one largest issue we all face, pure and simple. It's about human extinction. planet's going to be here in 100 years. The question is, will there be humans on it? And if so, how many will be left alive? And will the living really actually envy the dead. That's what's coming up. So the China announcement was enormous. I applaud the president for it, the net neutrality announcement, enormous. And I hope he starts doing the same on a variety of other issues, Matt, that I think are big stories waiting to happen that the president ought to come swinging out on because he's got nothing to lose. And at this point, he needs to tell the American people what he really thinks is the best thing for them and trust that they may, if they don't hear it now, they will at some point act upon it. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I'm I'm very optimistic about his executive actions in the next two years acting alone. But as you saw, as soon as this announcement came out, and this is an example that I want to go back to, it's not about party, but the people in Congress who are getting ready to take over said they're going to block uh, implementation of this treaty or implementation of this agreement. And and, and that's the kind of thing that I'm that I want to clearly define, which is that if they want to block progress on climate change, it doesn't matter what party they're from. It's They are an enemy of progress for humanity. And we can't keep piddling around with that. We have Actually, to call I mean, can out. I make it stronger? Matt, can I borrow a term sure. from the past? They're an enemy of the people. In other True. words, I'm sorry that people who had the most to lose didn't vote in the last election. But that doesn't mean, I think, that you can take 43 college students and assassinate them, as recently occurred in Mexico, just because you don't agree with the, the protest. They might not have voted, but that doesn't give you the right to assassinate them. Uh, the fact that, that blacks and browns didn't vote in big enough numbers does not give the South the freedom to bring back Jim Crow, which it's doing voter suppression in other ways. So I, I, I just it's time for us to recognize that we're not going to get leadership from the federal level. Now, I was asked a very good question by a listener just the other day when they heard the little the pitch, pitch about last month about Obama you know, likely getting impeached, which I think is probably the case. They asked me, if Obama gets impeached, will he have to stop issuing executive orders? And the good news is no. It turns out that if they impeach him, he has all the powers of the office until he is convicted, which means he'll be able to say, look, the Congress is busy trying to impeach me. I'm going to have to run the country. And it might give him even more starch in his backbone to engage with the public in a way that Roosevelt, we haven't seen since Roosevelt declared that he was going to, that there was nothing to fear but fear itself. And then right. he was going to single-handedly bring the Depression to an end. Well, since we're going back to impeachment, which I think is really important here when we talk about Obama's bold action, you know, he's going to act on immigration, and he's going to begin... Yeah, and be more aggressive on uh, creating a relatively sensible immigration policy, at least much more humane than the one we currently have, which doesn't make any sense. There's almost unanimous support for for change in, among the kind of rational actors in politics and in business uh, on immigration policy. But he's going to likely face impeachment for that and various other uh, policy steps that are within his power, but the Republicans are going to object to. Oh, 
But wait, wait, Matt, 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 hold on. Again, you use the word Republicans. I want to focus on that intently now for a second. See, the Chamber of Commerce is actually in favor of immigration reform. Business True. is in favor of immigration reform. The Republic, the adult, mature Republicans are actually going to be in favor of immigration reform. The question is, will they be able to contain this, 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 this almost wild dog attack against the president right. to try and eviscerate him for no good reason? particularly since he cannot run for re-election. Uh, and for people who do not follow John Stewart, I urge you to start watching. John did a piece uh, two nights ago that was just brilliant, where he talked about the fact that... Uh, and, and by the way, Stephen Colbert did such a brilliant piece on the Republicans governing that it was quoted and linked to from the Washington Post yesterday. It's <laughs> that good. And what he, th- these guys are saying is, look... it. If all that you are trying to do is to prove that he can't run the country, that doesn't mean people are going to trust you to run the country. So don't be afraid to have the country run. The worst that could happen is that we find out that a Democratic president and a Republican Congress can work together, and they keep doing it for eight more years after he leaves. That's okay. The goal is to run the country. And if you wait until you've got a, a Republican president and a Republican House and a Republican Senate, you're going to have to be careful what you do then, because maybe you'll get primaried if you're a Republican by the right wing of your own party. So maybe you have to wait till there is no more right wing in your party before you can do anything. You get the point. It goes on and on and on to the point where you never get to govern because you're afraid to govern because if you govern, you could be held to your record, whatever it was or wasn't. Right. And why I'm so keen on this is because it's clear, even in those states where people voted heavily Republican, in every single state where the minimum wage was on the ballot, it passed. So we know raising the minimum wage is so popular that even when you pull the lever for the Republican senator in your state or the Republican governor, you also pull the lever for raise the minimum wage. Now, that's really important. That's a social issue, which the Democrats should have owned. By the way, if they had have owned it, they would have probably done better in all the states it was approved in. But they didn't get behind it enough. Another example, marijuana legalization. Now uh, we've added to some more states there. Uh, well, the D.C., District of Columbia, and one more state. So in the process of doing that, what we've, what we've said is, look, Colorado didn't blow apart. It's raising probably 85 to $90 million in new taxes. It's brought thousands of people into the economy that were previously operating illegally. It's, it's produced a, a, a migration of people to the state of Colorado to buy housing so they can get medical marijuana for their sick children, with particularly the, 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 the tincture of marijuana, which apparently is what solves kids with severe seizures and, and, and grand mal seizures, etc. Now, <coughs> that, that growth in the economy in Colorado was a direct relation, direct result of marijuana legalization. Again, people, as a social issue, are voting with, in effect, the Democrats for themselves because they understood the issue. One more. California downgraded felonies to misdemeanors, finally, after the three-strikes law led the entire country astray for the last 30 years. So we became the the number one country in the world for incarcerating our domestic population. We put more people in prison in America than in any country in the world. Um, and as a percentage of population, is through the roof. Now, the cost of that, and I can only speak to California numbers, but I think they're similar across the country. In California, it takes about $40,000 a year to put somebody in prison and keep them there. A rehabilitation program costs about 10000 And if you don't even arrest them in the first place and issue a citation, you'll get revenue out of it. So the idea of decriminalizing nonviolent crimes in California, which passed as an initiative, that's huge in terms of what it will do to boost the California economy. And 
frankly, is the right political decision. Again, Rand Paul was on the favor of that, as he was in favor of, of, of marijuana legalization. Uh, he was a, uh, staking out that as a libertarian position, because he wants to attract younger voters. It's amazing he staked that position out better than the Democrats, who invented the position. But again, I'm looking not at who should be in charge. I'm looking at these issues are getting through when the public is allowed to vote on them. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased, frankly, Matt, and I'll end with this. The California water measure passed, uh, which sets up an $8 billion fund to start building some infrastructure for California, finally, to deal with our extraordinary drought. That's not going to solve the problem. By a, no shakes is it going to solve the problem. But it is a statement that people in California want to take the surplus and invest it back into infrastructure. Last but not least, uh, Jerry Brown, with a huge landslide election victory, is going to get his bullet train up the middle of California. It's going to be at least a $9 billion bond project. So those two, the water measure and the bullet train together, you're talking $17 billion just to be spent in the state of California, going to give a huge stimulus to the state, real big. And last but not least, as they do that, we also passed the Rainy Day Fund, which said we're going to put part of our surplus into a bank account, like a savings account, for the future. So the state of California has gone from the basket case of states just five years ago to, the, to one of the most solvent, progressive, and now I believe it will do the best coming up through this next economic correction. It will do better than most states because of this actions they've taken. How did that happen in California? Two things occurred. Brown is the lucky beneficiary of both. Number one, the people of the state of California took back redistricting. They said, you know what? Setting these congressional districts is too important, these assembly districts. We're not going to let the Democrats and the Republicans do it anymore. They're, they're, they're just doing it to keep each other in office. It's an unholy alliance. We're going to have a citizens panel decide, and we're going to have rational district boundaries so that in a state that's got 55% Democrats and 45% Republicans, that's what the makeup of the legislature will be. It won't be 65 or 70% Democrat, because you won't be able to gerrymander. Huge change, which really affected California in a positive way. Number two, the California people, not the legislature, in fact, over the, over the objection of the legislature, the California public decided to stop having it be a requirement that 60% plus approve the budget. And when they did that, it, it took the power away of every assemblyman in the middle of nowhere to block the whole state of California budget just so they could get some, so they could get some pork. Well, now that that's the law of California, the budget, the first year it took effect, went through on time and was balanced. What yep. that's done for our credit rating is enormous. So these are all positive steps that people are taking. And so it's never been more true than it is today. It's time for citizen action. It's time for each of us to say, this is where you started, Matt. Federal government probably ain't going to be able to help us too much this year and next. But we can do it at the local level, at the level of states. We can have Obamacare in those states that were smart enough to put those exchanges. Our citizens are already benefiting. Uh, people, Millions of people who have pre-existing conditions are now going to get insurance, have insurance. It's lowered the cost, I know, for small business because I'm a small business owner and we, our insurance costs have gone down. So I'm really excited about this, and it's created portability so that now a person in California, for example, and those other states where you can do Obamacare, you're free to leave your job and go to another job and not lose your insurance in the process. 
huge, huge change. That mobility in our labor force alone is going to help to pop the economy up. So if it were not for the political craziness about to happen in Washington, I would say we're in really great shape for the future. Unfortunately, we do have the political craziness, and that causes me a great deal of concern. Yeah. Well, I agree with that, Ronaldo. Um, the the big piece on the local initiatives, uh, I want to just give everyone a heads up that the World Business, Business Academy is cooking up a few initiatives that we'll be talking about in the coming months for 2015 to really help empower uh, local initiatives around renewable energy and to really start making energy choices that are both beneficial for the economy and for taxpayers and ratepayers uh, alike. So stay tuned for that. Um, a quick note for our listeners also, the World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and our work relies on people like you who are listening to this show to join in and help support it. We have a $25 a month associate membership level that I'd like to invite you to sign up for to help support the work that you're hearing and the work that you'll see on our website. So if you go to our website at worldbusiness.org and click on Become a Member, um, you can sign up there quickly and easily. And if if we can uh, continue to earn your your support, uh, we, we'd appreciate your feedback and, and any comments you have on the work we're doing here on the radio show and in general. So please do sign up to become a member and join with us in uh, getting this good information out and creating the uh, the environment we know is possible on the local level and at the state level while we. Uh, while we watch the national level very closely, Ronaldo, Actually, I want to turn uh, Matt, out. Matt, on, on that one, that one. Can I just want to say one thing real quickly. Sure. You know, I'm I'm reminded that the United States of America started because of individual citizens who took it upon themselves to talk to their neighbors, and they formed what was called committees of correspondence, as you recall, in the colonies. Those committees of correspondence directly led eventually to the American Revolution. So we owe them our heritage. I'm going to throw out a challenge today. And I, I really mean this. Folks, I'm a 67-year-old man who's giving it everything I've got, and I can't do it without you. I just can't. There's not enough time left in my life, and frankly, I don't have as much at my disposal as is necessary to move the entire planet without your help. With your help, we can, by the way. So here's what I want to do. Here's my challenge. I want you to become an associate member for $25 a month, and I want you to form a discussion group in your living room once a month. Play a copy of this radio show and ask people to listen to it and then discuss it amongst yourself. When you get through discussing it, if you as a group have questions, send them in to us. We'd like to support you in getting them answered. If you have comments or suggestions, please send them in. I'd like to see a 1,000 groups across the country with 10 to 20 members each in this movement we're trying to start. And everybody can afford $25 a month to get involved. If you do decide to start it, we will list you on your, our website as the coordinator of a local hub for the academy. Once you're there, we urge you to tell us how many people are in your group. We'll keep you informed of anything we do, and we'll have a way to talk to you, and you will have a way to talk to us. This is the time when we, the people, must act. And we don't have time for sunshine patriots. There's, we, we can't just have people who show up when the weather's like. We've got to have people year-round now who understand the nature and the scope of the threat that's facing us and also understand the nature of the upside, this vision of what is possible that's facing us, and we have to start choosing the latter, not the former. 
And to do that, we need your help. So I want you to go out and form a group in, in your living room. As an associate member, see if you can get 5 to 20 people in your living room. If it's not big enough for 20, great, settle for 15. But get 5 to 15 people in your living room every month on a set date. We do the meeting here in Santa Barbara on the second Thursday of the month. It starts at 5.30 with wine and cheese. We start at 6 o'clock with the conversation. We end promptly at 7. Do the same thing. It only takes an hour, an hour and a half. And what you'll do is you'll be creating not only your voice added to this conversation, you'll be giving your energy to positive solutions that will change our direction. It won't come from Washington. In many cases, it won't come from your state capital. But it can come from your living room, and that's where the revolution begins. Please, take this challenge. Thank you, Ronaldo. Yeah, it's great. Um, and if people have questions, please do feel free to write into us at info at worldbusiness.org, and we'll get back to you. Uh, so now, Ronaldo, I'd like to wrap the show up by talking about various asset classes that you're looking at in what we know, what's known as our lightning round. Um, and to, to give some uh, quick hits on oil and gas and real estate and some of the uh, some of the bonds and stocks you talked about in your kind of emergency investment strategy before. Right. Let's do oil and gas quickly. So I touched on it at the beginning of the program. I won't repeat what I said, although I was fascinated to see a couple of articles come out just this morning in the, in the Financial Times and in, in, in on the web. Um, pressure on oil prices is still there. The switchover of the U.S. fleet to, less, to, to more efficient cars it continues, although I read a disturbing story last night that people are starting to get lax and wanting to buy big Hummers and stuff like that again, which is tragic if it's true. And my suggestion is that people need to realize that as the price of petroleum falls because we buy more efficient vehicles, it benefits you. So when your neighbor buys an SUV, it's actually taking money out of your pocket because it's keeping the price of gasoline higher. And that price going higher is money out of your pocket. So when you see a Hummer that is not a friend and nothing to be jealous of, that's something to be fearful of. It's a dinosaur, and it's eating your lunch. So just for, for what it's worth, please continue being smart and putting less money in your gas tank and more in your kid's college fund. Number two, oh, so oil and gas prices will continue to be down because of the reasons I gave. I'm now predicting that it's going to be as low as $75 a barrel, uh, West Texas Intermediate, uh, the, I've previously reported to you that the gap between West Texas and Brent has been closing. Uh, so I'm looking at a Brent price of $80, $82 at most a barrel, uh, which will put enormous pressure on the Russians because that's below their break-even price. It puts pressure on the Saudis. They don't care because they've got a big bank account. It puts pressure on the Iranians because it gives them less money to spend, quite a bit less, actually. Uh, and it puts uh, pressure on uh, the Canadian tar stands and, and shale oils in America, which is why the Saudis are doing it. So they're putting more oil into the market at a time when we're consuming less. The Chinese moving to less industrial development has also reduced their oil appetite. And with this new deal they just made with Obama, I suspect that will further reduce it. So the call I made in March, which was to sell your oil stocks at that time, when, by the way, they were 22% higher than they are today, I said, sell them in March. We even had a special show on Divest Invest. I said, the oil price stocks are going are, are to go sideways or down, and more likely down, and that's exactly what happened. So for those of you who listened and sold all your oil company stocks, congratulations, you're 20% ahead of the game or more, actually, 22%. Um, residential real estate. Let me touch on that quickly. A phenomenal thing has occurred in the last year, which we now know is not anomalous, but probably a semi-permanent change. Family formations is 
negative, meaning fewer people who we thought would get married and have kids forming bonds, even without kids, just family formations, are not happening at the same rate for a whole bunch of reasons. Okay? But in addition to that, the people who normally would be buying starter houses, people who graduated from college five years ago, are not able to do so because they have too much student debt. Now remember, uh, the Republican Congress specifically refused the Warren bill, which would have lowered student debt from 8-plus percent interest down to 1 or 2 percent. Elizabeth Warren's argument for that was, we only charge the banks a, p- a quarter of a point to borrow. Why do we charge our students on college loans 8 percent when banks get it at a quarter of a point? Great question. But clearly, the banks and their lobbyists have control over this, so they're going to keep that 8 percent up there for the next two years. Well, that means these students are going to continue to be unable to afford to get their first house. Now, what that means, in turn, is that because of that, there's not a push on the underside of the residential market, adding more demand for new single-family dwellings. So we've got a a permanent reduction in the speed of new family dwellings being, single-family dwellings being built. That's going to put additional pressure on apartment dwellings, which means, as I said in prior shows, Owning an apartment building is going to get better and better, but unfortunately, most of us can't afford to buy one. And owning your own home is going to be more and more difficult because the people coming up from the bottom who trade up from, to get their first home that then trade it 10 years later for their second home aren't there in large numbers. So the, the demand for single-family residential housing has not gone back to where it should post the end of the recession. Now, And there's also further complicated by the further hollowing out of the middle class because somebody who's flipping burgers at McDonald's cannot afford a house. In fact, they can barely afford an apartment. So I'm seeing a permanent shift of continuing towards multifamily unit dwellings, so apartments, condominiums, that sort of thing, and a continuing pressure downward on single-family dwellings, which is a very depressant effect on the economy. But it also tells you to watch out for home builders. It tells you to watch out for people who would otherwise be selling more refrigerators, freezers, washers, dryers, air conditioning units, heating units, all those industries depend on new family formations and depend on a constant stream of new people entering the housing market. And that stream has been reduced, I believe, semi-permanently. It's not going to come out for at least the next two years, and it could be that this is a permanent change, which would be very interesting to watch demographically. Absolutely. Um, and, Ronaldo, did you want to talk about the, the VIX index uh, and, and its sure. movement since we last talked about it? Sure, yeah. So that's called the VIX, is the worry index. So we said that we started buying it. I did last uh, month. Um, if I put some in the fund. Uh, and it turned out it was a good decision because it's already started to go up. My suspicion is that as the political instability builds, in fact, I'm certain of it, the VIX will go even higher. So if you didn't buy the VIX yet, you still can. And when you do it, you're you're basically hedging against people's future worries. Uh, Eventually, I'll probably recommend gold. I'm not ready to do so yet, but I'm very close, because when people get fearful, the price of gold goes up. Now, we're in a deflationary period, so the price of gold should be low, and it is low, and it's been low for a long time. And as you know, we correctly told people a couple of years back, three years, four years ago now, to get out of gold. Everybody that got out and stayed out is a very happy camper. Those who stayed in have had their money go sideways or down ever since. Well... I think that the time for gold is getting closer again, and as a result, uh, we'll be talking about that in future shows. But getting gold is a way to get liquid. Um, uh, uh, Buying Swiss francs is a way to get liquid. And people ask me, why Swiss francs? 
Okay, and the answer is real quick. And, and by the way, when I talk about putting this in the fund that we advise for first affirmative, remember, folks, the World Business Academy has no economic interest in the fund whatsoever. I personally have my money in it, just so you know I put my money where my mouth is. But I, don't, I do not have – we don't get a fee for this. We do this for free. We advise the fund so that you listening to the show with as little as $25,000 in savings have a place to go to protect yourself. We're trading our knowledge to first affirmative so they would reduce down from a quarter of a million to 25000 your ability to buy into the fund because normally first affirmative clients have to have a quarter of a million. So we set this up so you'd have a place to go put your money. And, 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 and what we're doing in that fund, for example, buying Swiss francs, is a very simple reason. When you look at the various currencies around the world, you say the American dollar is overvalued by 20% because people got scared and they started taking their money out of other countries, particularly out of the BRICS or the emerging countries. The BRICS is, 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 is uh, of course, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And again, India is probably in best shape of the four. Well, China's in very good shape. I think India is going to start to look more favorable in the future. But why... Why Swiss francs? Well, Swiss francs is the independent currency that is the least linked to Europe's overall economic health and the most um, widely regarded amongst the 1% as the safe place to put money. So when the 1% and 2% have all the money and they think this place, the safest place to put it is in Switzerland, believe me, Swiss francs are going to hold up just fine. And as the dollar depreciates due to the economic crisis I'm predicting will happen, if that crisis occurs, the dollar's going to drop, I would say, at least 10 to 20%. Well, who's going to stand steady against that 10 to 20% drop? It is not going to be the Canadian dollar. It's going to drop with the U.S. dollar. It's not going to be the Mexican peso. It's going to drop worse than the dollar. It's not going to be the Brazilian real. And frankly, it can't even be the renminbi because it's not widely enough traded, which is the Chinese currency. So that causes us to have to pick a currency which is stable, somewhat independent of overall economic craziness, and one where people always know the rules are going to protect their money, and that's the Swiss franc. Now, I can talk for an hour on the Swiss franc if you want. People want more questions about it, please don't hesitate to ask. But that's the question that I got asked. Why Swiss francs? I hope that's – did I cover it, Matt, or do I need yeah, to Yeah, I think say that's more? good. One other question that's come up just quickly, Ronaldo, is people from overseas or other, other countries have asked if they're able to invest in First Affirmative Fund. Do you know the answer to that? Um – no, I don't specifically with regard to first affirmative. However, I will find it out. And if okay. they are not able to do it directly, allow me to tell you I've done this in the past, Matt. There are ways for me to do that completely legally through what are called intermediaries that do operate on the U.S. shore. So okay. depending on how much money people are talking about, we'll be happy to dig out that answer. But you can always do it through a legitimate U.S. intermediary. Uh, whether you can buy directly in or not, I can't say, but that's a great question, and I will I will ask my friends at First Affirmative. Great. Well, Ronaldo, that ends our show today. Uh, on behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you all for joining us. Please come to our website at worldbusiness.org and connect with us in between shows, and tune in next month for the next episode of New Business Paradigms. Until then, thank you for listening, and please do share this link. And start that group in your living room. And start Thanks, everyone, room. for tuning in. Thanks so much. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.